Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Today's discussion is part celebration for recognition of the boarding school era that many Native Americans have demanded for decades. It's also a somber acknowledgement of a period that continues to haunt boarding school survivors and their descendants. And last, it's a call for continued accountability. While the report from the Department of Interior is laudable, the winds of political change can easily undo much of the progress and goodwill that has been generated in the last week. We'll talk about the report and what needs to happen next, right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Megan Kamrick in for Antonia Gonzalez. In Arizona, the state auditor general says officials managing the children's health insurance program have wrongly ended coverage for some Native American children. Andrew Oxford reports. State and federal regulations exempt children who are Native American from monthly premiums under the program known as Kids Care. But the auditor general found officials kicked 50 children out of the program between 2018 and 2021 because their families or guardians did not not pay premiums, even though officials had documentation showing each child was exempt. The Auditor General also found 44 of those 50 children were still not enrolled in kids' care or any other state Medicaid program as of October, and raised concerns they may not have any health insurance at all. The Arizona Health Care Cost Containment System, which manages kids' care, says it is putting new procedures in place in response to the report. For National Native News, I'm Andrew Oxford in Tucson. And that was Andrew Oxford reporting. Six tribes and a group of conservation nonprofits in the Upper Colorado River Basin have released a shared vision for the future of the river. KUNC's Alex Hager has more. Both indigenous groups and environmental advocates are pushing for more recognition in talks about how water is used. Tribes hold the rights to about a quarter of the river's flow, but have been largely excluded from decision making for decades. Jennifer Pitt with the Audubon Society says discussion of the environment was also left out of the river's original governing documents. By working together, we can build each other's capacity and try to bring some of these historically left out voices into the modern conversation. States and tribes are due to negotiate new guidelines for how the river is shared before 2026 when the current rules expire. I'm Alex Hager. A new report by Amnesty International shows there has not been much progress in addressing sexual violence against Native American women since the last time the organization reported on the crisis in 2007. Minnesota Public Radio reports at least 56 percent of Native women have experienced sexual violence and one in three have experienced rape. But officials with Amnesty said these numbers are likely lower than the actual number of cases because of a lack of data tracking by the U.S. government. Tara Demont with Amnesty International USA told NPR the lack of commitment by the U.S. government is a complete failure of its human rights obligations. The study also highlights the problem of unclear jurisdictions among federal, state, and tribal governments and a lack of consistent funding for law enforcement and prosecution. Amnesty is calling for the full restoration of tribal jurisdiction over all crimes committed on tribal lands and greater funding for law enforcement and prosecution as well as health care. 
In Colorado, a law takes effect June 1st, where schools that retain Native American mascots face a monthly fine of $25,000. But as the Colorado Sun reports, it's unclear who will collect that money since no agency has been empowered to do so. This is despite the fact the law was passed last year. The news site reports lawmakers considered closing the loophole this year as part of a school finance bill, but that didn't happen. They may take it up later this year. But what that means in the interim for schools that violate the law is unclear. The Colorado Commission of Indian Affairs told about two dozen schools to get rid of mascots that use Native American imagery. Those that refuse are supposed to send $25,000 to the state's Treasury Department starting in June. But the Sun contacted schools who may be subject to the law. None of them planned to remit the fines. General Counsel for the Ute Mountain Tribe, Peter Ortego, said the tribe likely is not interested in pursuing fines or punishment. Rather, it wants the mascots removed and for schools to work with tribes to find a solution. For National Native News, I'm Megan Kamrick. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications are accepted through May 31st at collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. The Indian Loan Guarantee and Insurance Program has worked with lenders for almost 50 years, supporting them as they support you. Have a development or construction project? Information at bia.gov DCI, which supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. In its report just released, the U.S. Department of Interior offers the definitive list of transgressions against Native people at more than 400 boarding schools over more than a century and a half. While many of the actions and methods listed in the report are already well known, it's important to note it's the first such factual accounting to come from the federal government. Notable also is the fact that the report was produced by the very department that oversaw boarding school policy in the first place. Already, tribal leaders are praising the effort led by the first Native American cabinet secretary. At the same time, they want more. Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez says this is only the first step in what should be a bold effort by the federal government to revitalize language and cultures they attempted to eradicate. Cherokee Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin Jr. says the report is the basis for giving dignity to the children who paid the price during the boarding school era. We're asking, what's next? Join our discussion. Call in 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us on the show today from Carlisle, Pennsylvania, is Barbara Landis. She is the retired Carlisle Indian School Research Specialist for the Cumberland County Historical Society. Barbara, thank you very much for coming on Native America Calling today. Hello. It's great to be here. It's great to have you, Barbara. What's your reaction to this report released last week documenting boarding school abuses? Oh, my gosh. My reaction was one of real support. And um, my response was, it's about time. I mean, this is actually 
coming into the forefront of American history and culture. And it's something that more and more people are going to be aware of as we move forward. Now, as the retired research specialist for Cumberland County Historical Society, uh, you focused on Carlisle. Did you do any of this research in the past regarding these abuses in in that previous role? I have not focused on abuses at the Carlisle Indian School. My interest has always been trying to enumerate who the children were and and trying to get the names to the nations. And so that's more my focus. And my interest right now is looking at the outing program at Carlisle, which was the displacement program that put children in non-native homes during the off season um, of the residential school. So when a child was enrolled at Carlisle, they were enrolled for a period of three to seven years and they never went home. And so I feel compelled to look at who were those white families who were taking children into their homes and how many children were placed in homes. I have a spreadsheet with about 15,000 entries of homes and we know that there were about 7,800 children at Carlisle. So, you know, that's really my focus. I feel like that's what I have license to look at as a non-Native person. Well, that's really interesting research. Do you know if any of that data, this outing program that you have done research on, is that included in this report that came out last week? I, I haven't read the report closely. I really just skimmed it. So I don't know. It may have been mentioned, but it has not been looked at in detail. You know, as you know, this report is looked at as a first step. I think there is going to be a lot more reporting to come out of this whole era of our history. And as a first step, what do you feel is the the most valuable part or the most valuable outcome from documenting these abuses that occurred there at Carlisle and many other native boarding schools? Yeah, I think connecting these students to their communities is probably the most important first step. And, And this report really focuses on that, collecting the names, finding out where the boarding schools are, and most importantly, trying to find the um, burials of children who we don't know about. Now, much in the report has been known before, but do you know of any information or any data currently in the report that was unknown or hasn't been discussed during the 30 years that you've been following these issues? Um, No, I think that the report is gathering bits and pieces of information that has been known, but really hasn't been publicized. And of course, the critical thing is the work that NABS has done identifying the schools and where they were located. And that's very much a part of the report. What are some major takeaways that you think people should should gain from just knowing more about the boarding school issues? And I'm thinking of mainstream America. What do people need to understand? People need to understand that 
Native Americans are here, are still here, and there are Native communities throughout this country and Canada and indigenous communities everywhere with similar experiences. You know, this is not history. This is not something that happened a long time ago. This is still something that's very much a part of who we are as Americans. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for setting the tone for our conversation today. Our next guest is joining us from Minneapolis, Minnesota. His name is Dr. Samuel Torres, and he is Deputy Chief Executive Officer for the Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. He is Mashaka and Nawa. Sam, welcome back to Native America Calling. Thank you very much, Sean. It's an honor to share this conversation with you today. Sam, what's your response to the DOI report? <clears throat> well, um, I just uh, want to say that um, it, it is it is a long time coming, and and these conversations and the dialogues that have um, permeated through our communities, <clears throat> in both native communities and um, and non-native communities, uh, are, are very important to highlight in this in this important moment. Um, I think most important what's what my most important takeaway here is that for I think the first time in such a comprehensive way, uh, the federal government has recognized um, in a big way the that forced removal, physical, sexual, and psychological abuse occurred systematically across the hundreds of federally operated, federally funded, and federally supported institutions. And of course, these are lived realities and shared experiences that so many of our relatives um, have known deeply. But for uh, a government that recognizes that these abuses have happened is a enormous shift in tone from historically what I think could be perceived as uh, really a, a national and social gaslighting of this history as Barb I think eloquently mentioned uh, just a few moments ago that this is this is not ancient history. That these that these memories they they continue to to live with us. They are ongoing impacts that continue to be produced and provoked by the federal Indian boarding school policy. So, for the Department of the Interior, as you mentioned, who is responsible for the operations, the funding. The, the proliferation really of a wide scale phenomenon of utilizing and weaponizing education for assimilation. This is a very big deal for uh, the Department of the Interior to endeavor to do this work, to initiate this work. And um, from the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition's perspective, we uh, are honored to walk on that path with them and to offer some of our uh, of our uh, learned lessons, some of our research that we have coordinated and gathered over the past 10 years uh, to be able to walk on this path together uh, has been a uh, an extraordinary journey to this point and of course eager to continue to expand on that going forward. Sam, what responses are you hearing from survivors since the report was released last week? Um, generally speaking, we're hearing a, a lot of, uh, I think, a, a sentiment of relief, um, of a, uh, 
you know, a, somewhat of a collective exhale from folks that this is being recognized. Um, and uh, generally, uh, you know, once that once that sentiment has been shared, what we're seeing is we hope that they're going to continue to expand on this. And I think that that is the, the crucial nexus of, of where we currently are is that uh, I, I, I think generally a lot of folks look at this. We certainly do. And it was heartening to hear the Department of the Interior clarify that this is just the initial process, the initial step. Um, of course, there's a lot of pain and, and, and secondary uh, emotions that are coming up, uh, a, a deep grief that is, that is there regarding these stories uh, coming around once more. But uh, I believe that especially from the conversations that we have been having recently, folks are, are ready to tell their stories. And as Jim LaBelle, boarding school survivor and our first vice president on the board of directors for NABS, um, as he mentioned in his, in his testimony uh, at the Department of the Interior press conference where we were all gathered together, he mentioned that he hopes that his moment here sharing his story can help inspire others to walk in that courage to be able to share their life stories as well, because as so many times the news cycles tend to do is, you know, uh, look at some of these moments as commodities, look at these moments as uh, news bites and then move on to the next thing. But these are, these are our stories. These are our lives that we're talking about here. The, the experiences of our relatives, the experiences that Sam, I'm sorry, us. we're going to so have to I, take I, a short break, but I am going to let you continue your thoughts. Listeners with any questions or comments, 1-800-996-2848. That's the number. I'm your host, Sean Spruce, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Students and family members are celebrating the educational milestone of graduation this time of year. For Native grads, it's a time to draw on their support systems and chart the next path after clearing hurdles that many others haven't. We'll check in with some graduates and find out what they've learned as they mark this important time on the next Native America Calling. Mesa Lands Community College can help you lead the way in your chosen field. At Mesa Lands, where one in three students is Native American, you get hands-on opportunities working one-on-one -on -one with instructors in wind energy, where students go up the turbine in their first semester, silversmithing with access to the largest foundry in the Southwest, and blacksmithing in the cowboy arts. Mesa Lands has a national top ten rodeo team, too. Info and applications at mesalands.edu. Mesa Lands Community College supports this program. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling today. I'm Sean Spruce. We're taking a close look at the Department of Interior's actions to document boarding school abuses. We're also discussing what you'd like to see going forward. Who should be in charge of fostering healing from the nearly two centuries of abuse suffered by Native children and their families? Join the conversation, 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're speaking right now with Dr. Samuel Torres. He is Deputy Chief Executive Officer for the Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. And Sam, before we went to break, you were talking about this report that was released last week as a first step 
towards the healing and reconciliation that needs to occur. And I know that Secretary Deb Holland announced that along with researchers, she would be visiting numerous Native communities in the months to come to interview boarding school survivors and document their stories. What types of stories and data would you like to see from this next phase of the initiative? Uh, we see this as a really crucial next step to hear from folks that are in these separate regions that have their own unique stories. Uh, as as was released with the Department of the Interior's report, uh, NABS and the DOI collaborated to identify 408 federally operated, federally supported and financed schools. Um, expanded from that, including those uh, deeply connected Christian missions and other privately run institutions that receive no federal uh, support, there are 89 additional institutions putting that total number of the federal Indian boarding school policy footprint to 497 institutions. That is far greater than um, than anyone had really considered or conceptualized before, uh, though we have been sharing with our, our, our communities that uh, we should anticipate the numbers to continue to grow as more resources are put into that. So with 497 different institutions, we should expect a variety of different experiences and stories, and, and those all deserve to be heard. So I, I am eager to, to, to see how the secretary um, is, is going to position these visits to document these, these experiences. Um, as we know, um, a tour is a really good first step, I think, but um, in addition to where, uh, what a single year of investigating, uh, really the, producing a report, report to this point, um, we're going to need a, 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 a multi-year look at this, which is why NABS is uh, supporting the, uh, the Truth and Healing Commission Bill on Indian Boarding School Policies, H.R. 5444 and Senate Bill 2907, which could do just that in a really substantive way. Um, what I am happy to see with the Interior's work is this desire to widen the circle, though, and to hear directly from boarding school survivors and their relatives, um, because we need to be able to to recognize that the, that the values and the figures in this report are important, but the connection to, to living uh, descendants and living survivors um, they're not getting any younger. And as a global pandemic continues to, to rage through uh, the United States and other places, um, there are greater risks uh, for, for our elders um, given those conditions. Yeah, you're certainly right about that. They're not getting any younger. Let's go to the phones. We have Donna listening in Wasilla, Alaska on KNBA. Donna, thanks for calling in today. Good morning. Yes, uh, we are not getting any younger, but we're still young at heart. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm 71, and I'm a direct descendant of a boarding school person, so I'm speaking directly from my heart, too. But mostly I talk from my heart, because if I talk from my head, I'm not too intelligent. But when I talk to my heart, from my heart, I know I'm directly. Uh, speaking from my spirit, so I uh, I grew up with my mom. I didn't know why she was so quiet, and it took me years to figure out what was going on. And I'm still putting together the pieces of the puzzle. And uh, I think this is really great 
that there is a healing of sharing through sharing. You know, the um, way that we heal is sharing the stories and relating to each other and communicating. And um, I... Some people tell me I talk too much. Well, I guess I'm making up for all of the words that my mom couldn't say. So uh, <laughs> so right now, you know, we just honor all those people. Uh, my mom took her journey, so I just would like to, uh, you know, my this is in my prayers or healing. I really was, this was on my mind heavily today to pray for the people that are healing and descendants and also people that were so impacted by this, what happened, and they're just finding out now what happened and how it's um, impacted all of our future and our, even my grandchildren are impacted by it. And so uh, yeah, I hope there's projects, future projects. We can go into the future and be positive about it and create projects where uh, people can receive credit in high school and universities for studying their native language, and there would be restitution like that um, that would come through. And, and then we would know that people actually are not only apologizing, but they're taking action and letting us heal and help us heal through uh, taking direct action like that. And it's starting to happen slowly. I see it happening here in Alaska where uh, University of Fairbanks is doing uh, Native programs, and they have more Native programs in the university. And when I went to the university, there's hardly any minorities, you know, so I was kind of like a real oddball. But, you know, uh, it takes courage when you're in a sea of 15,000 people and you're this little country person uh okay but we have courage all of us do and we're gonna we're going to go forward and create things that are going to help the future generations we sure do donna and i do need to disagree with you though you speak with intelligence not just from your heart but also from your head thank you for that call and Sam, Donna mentions restitution, and I'm glad she did because at the press conference last week, uh, there was a reporter who asked about reparations, if they were being considered for boarding school descendants. And I thought it was interesting, and Secretary Holland didn't really give a direct answer to that. So do you think reparations need to be made? And if so, what kind of reparations? Right. I think that's a really big question, and I appreciate Donna's uh, comments about uh, native language focus study and revitalization. And I think that those are two intimately connected or really innately connected concepts. Um, I understand that, that the concept of reparations often can be really polarizing to a lot of different kinds of folks. Um, but ultimately what we, I think ought to look at it is look at it is in the way of how do we restore relations um, in given a systematic uh, method of delegitimizing, dehumanizing an entire way of living, knowing, and being, uh, a whole collective of living, knowing, and being. And so I think that has to be, has to be looked at uh, 
uh, really substantively, I think that given a system where native languages were targeted, where, where children were removed forcibly, where children were even at times physically and sexually abused, where, where, where children were um, even at times um, sterilized against their will, uh, this is genocide. And as a result, there needs to be substantive efforts to restore those relations, right. to restore right. that which was, was, was taken. So I think that tribal right. nations, of course, need to be at that table to be able to uh, offer what is needed to help restore those relations. And so we can call it reparations, we can call it restoring relations, whatever it is, there needs to be a substantive effort to, uh, to uh, address these ongoing uh, problems that the boarding school federal policy aimed to, to take away. Yeah, I, I think there does. And you know, you have to think about what's it going to take for healing in our communities, right? And, and data is important and these stories are important, but we also have to think about programs and services and to promote mental health, counseling resources. And at some point, um, I think financial investments are, are going to have to be considered as part of this healing process. Wouldn't you agree, Sam? I, I would, absolutely. From um, from from a variety of different uh, sectors and ranges, right, including language revitalization, but health services, mental health services, access to education and higher education, um, all, all of these components um, are, are are crucial to be able to to seek that restoration because we have seen those those disparities across the board where mental health services have not been accessible or or um, effective uh, because of their um, the, the way in which they're operated. We need to be looking critically and creatively uh, of how we can approach uh, mental health uh, through a way of, of, of a traditional lens as well. Um, as we know, there, there are other injustices that can continue to institutionalize often, you know, Native people and other subaltern communities, other communities of color. And so we need to be able to think creatively around what those services can look like and not just see a recycled version of, of, of boarding school, mental health facilities of the early 20th century, late 19th century that uh, effectuated some of the, the same outcomes that boarding schools did. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we've got another caller on the line right now, Shell, listening in Fort Hall, Idaho, on KISU. Shell, thanks for calling Native America Calling today. I'm almost, uh, Sean. Good morning, Sean. Uh, yeah, uh, my grandmother used to tell me uh, about an older uncle I had. Uh, she never, my grandmother never spoke English, so I, I was a kid and I would listen to what she said and she said that her uh, her one of her sons went uh, was a, went to boarding school and he never returned. But uh, I guess the dean of the school sent a letter to uh, to the superintendent at the agency and they interpreted it for her. And they said she, he was a football player and and I was just thinking, you know, like he might have played football with uh, Jim Thorpe, you know, and and but he had a native name, 
um, I don't know if they tr- may gave him an English name or not, but but that's uh, all. All the elders are passed on now, and like I'm an elder now myself. I'm 68, going to be 69 next month. So I okay. wanted to kind of relay that, you know. Yeah, Shell. I'm so glad you called. So. Do you know what school this relative, was it Carlisle? You mentioned Jim Thorpe. Did this relative go to Carlisle? Do you know what school it was? Uh, I don't know. I just know that he played football and that he never returned, you know. They sure, never sure. Okay. Gave, uh, they never told no information. anyone whatever happened over there. Okay. Well, I, I'm I'm so sorry to hear this, Shell, and unfortunately... I've heard similar stories from other Native folks over the years. So I'd like to ask Barbara, Barbara, in a situation like this, Shell has a little bit of information about a relative that attended a boarding school many, many years ago, played football. And you mentioned, you know, trying to track down the locations of these students. That's been a big part of your career over the years. What advice do you have for Shell and other folks that are just kind of starting almost from ground zero, trying to to find where these relatives were, what happened to them, where do they start? Yeah, it's it's a tough situation because names were changed and names were anglicized. So, and and it's the name that kind of is the marker for how records tend to be organized. So, I my my advice would be to um, get a list of the names for the particular nation that your uncle belonged to and look very carefully at those um, names and see if you recognize any other family names that might help you to track the history of how your family would have been removed to these boarding schools. There is a digital archive online, and I'm going to make a plug for it because I'm involved Please with do. it. If you go to uh, www.carlisleindian.dickinson, D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N, dot E-D-U, that is the site where the archivist from Dickinson College has gotten grant funding to... Um, upload all of the records from the Carlisle Indian School from the National Archives. And those are the records that hold a lot of the information that we use to piece together who children were and try to find out what, as best we can, their experiences were at Carlisle. Because you know, as your other caller talked about, what we have found over the years and what I have found over 30 years is that oftentimes people would not speak about what happened at Carlisle. And, you know, in Shell's case, when people came back from the school, they might not have talked about it. So there could be some connections that you can make um, through putting together information about family surnames there might be clues just looking at a list of names might you you might just get a sense that you know someone is a relative go ahead 
Yeah, but I'm just curious because you're mentioning Carlisle, and that's wonderful that this resource exists for Carlisle, but what about other Native American boarding schools? Are there similar databases that can be accessed online? I'm thinking Sam might better be able to answer that question. Okay, well, we'll talk about that. We do have to take a short break here, but we'll we'll revisit that topic as well when we come back. And any listeners... If you've got questions, if you've got comments, if you are a boarding school survivor, if you're a descendant of a boarding school survivor, we'd sure like to hear from you today. 1-800-996-2848. Again, that phone number is 1-800-996-2848. We've got really, really interesting conversations today. We've got some great guests, and we've got another guest that's going to come around right after the break here and is going to talk more about her family's connection to the boarding school tragedies and that's coming up right after break again i'm your host sean spruce and we'll be back right after a quick message Support by the Native American Disability Law Center. The Native American Disability Law Center advocates for the rights of Native Americans with disabilities so those rights are enforced, strengthened, and brought into harmony with their communities. There is no charge for this help. More info at 800-862-7271 or nativedisabilitylaw.org who support this show. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Still time to make your voice heard on the boarding school report by the Department of Interior. What do you think will provide a satisfactory measure of healing? Join the conversation at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Speaking with us now from Hope Valley, Rhode Island is Indonis Spears, She is tribal community member and residence for the Native American and Indigenous Studies Initiative at Brown University. She is Diné and is a White Earth Ojibwe, Chickasaw, and Choctaw descendant. And Donis, welcome to the show. Hi, Sean. Yate. Thank you for having me. Yate. And Donis, like so many Native people, you are a descendant of boarding school survivors. What's your family's connection to these institutions? Uh, Well, um, I was born and raised in central Arizona, um, and my mother is an enrolled citizen of the Navajo Nation, as am I, and my maternal grandmother and my maternal grandfather, uh, my Masona and my Che, uh, both attended uh, boarding schools on or near the Navajo Reservation. Uh, My maternal grandmother was Beatrice Sinajini, and she was born near Loop, Arizona, and she eventually attended the Albuquerque Indian School. Uh, she was sent to boarding school at about six or seven years of age. Uh, my maternal grandfather, also uh, on the Navajo Reservation, was born near Ganado Lake, Arizona, and he attended uh, the boarding school at Fort Wingate. Um, and my paternal grandmother was born in Ponsford, Minnesota, and she was sent to the Haskell Institute when she was about eight or nine. Um, and so, you know, I kind of have these three strands of lineage um, that went through these experiences and emerged uh, with 
their um, own um, uh, stories, their own uh, ways of passing on uh, joy and ways of passing on um, love uh, to my parents, um, but also at the same time um, had to um, really uh, negotiate um, how they were going to emerge from these experiences in the wake of, of some of these traumas and and give um, give my parents and subsequently me and my children um, the knowledge that they need to, to continue on. So um, all, all three of my four grandparents attended uh, boarding schools. And Adonis, what did they tell you about those experiences? Well, I was very young um, when um, my grandparents um, passed on, um, and so a lot of the the conversations around this and the what this report kind of sparked within our own family is conversations with my parents. Um, I, I think you know the callers and uh, Barbara and Sam have both made mention of the fact that history is a little bit of a uh, deceptive term because it allows there to be some kind of space between us and a time that's past. And we know that um, the intergenerational trauma and the processes of kind of recovering these stories and engaging with our histories in a meaningful and healing way um, really happens in very quiet, intimate conversations that we have with our own parents. And so this report really sparked some of those conversations within my own family. And um, my experiences of my grandparents when I was young were of pure love and affection and joy. And I kind of, um, I, I kind of, I, I hold those stories and those experiences very close to my heart, especially now as an adult looking back at, at what they went through, um, how they were able to emerge with that kind of sustained love for. Um, for me and, and my cousins um, and my generation. Um, in conversation with my parents, um, one thing that kind of came forward is um, my maternal grandfather, George Kirk. Uh, he was telling my mother about um, how much he hated um, being at boarding school and how he was put in the basement at Fort Wingate sometimes for days at a time without food for speaking the Navajo language. And yet, um, later in life, he would go on to become a code talker himself, a Navajo code talker. And so kind of the, the irony of um, how language was at once perceived as a threat and then utilized for the benefit of the United States is um, ever-present within our family's kind of oral history and our own understanding and our own orientation to the federal government. Adonis, you are a mother with young children. How do you approach that legacy with your children? Well, I, I think um, what this what this report kind of, again, brought to the forefront, because it's ever it is ever present within our our homes and our communities. It it's it's very much underneath the surface um, in our experiences of the way that we interpret the world. And so for me, Raising four children, I have three children. Um, I live here in in Hopkinton, Rhode Island, which is the unceded territory of the Narragansett people, with my husband, who's Narragansett, and our children, who are enrolled citizens of the Narragansett Indian Tribe. 
I really feel um, a certain amount of intentionality in the work that um, not just that my husband and I do, but our extended family and our community, recognizing that every decision we make on a daily basis um, really is needs to re- requires intention and requires prayerfulness and requires um, uh, giving our children access to knowledge and ways of knowing um, that were denied or that were unsuccessfully attempted to be stripped from our own grandparents. And so, you know, for us as the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren of boarding school, uh, the generation of boarding school survivors, um, we have a certain amount of obligation and accountability to our grandparents in the way that we foster healthy homes and communities. And so that's mm-hmm. the work of, of everyone. That's all of our work together collectively. Yeah, it certainly is. I'm glad you made that point about healthy homes and just what can we do to just kind of break that cycle of, of the trauma. We've got a, another caller listening online in Wisconsin Sasha, you're on the air. Hi, um, my name is Sasha Houston Brown, and um, my father was a frequent caller of Native America Calling. Um, my dad, Melvin Lee. Um, so I wanted to call in just to honor him. Um, he passed away about a month ago, and um, my dad actually went to St. Augustine Indian Mission School. And I know he, he's actually shared his story um, a little bit with you folks here, you know, at Native America Calling. But I wanted to call in just to, just to honor him. And um, I was very fortunate that uh, Melvin actually got sober um, when he was in his 50s. And when he got sober, he actually began to, to talk about his experience in boarding school um, and really address a lot of the trauma that he endured and I don't know if he's shared this story, but he actually ran away from St. Augustine Indian Mission um, with a shaved head and wearing a, a pink young girl's dress at the age of 11. Um, and it was a, a routine punishment, he said. You know, anytime they acted up, they would shave the boys' heads, put them in, in girls' clothing, um, amongst other forms of, of psychological and sexual abuse. And he ran away and was picked up by the police. And it wasn't the first time he had run away. And he finally actually ended up being institutionalized um, in the Kearney, Nebraska home for boys. And the police actually thought it would be a deterrent. They said, hey, you know, you've run away from St. Augustine how many times now? Would you rather just, you know, go to juvenile? And he said he wanted to. Um, And sadly, he talked about what a good place being being in a juvenile detention center was compared to being at St. Augustine. Um, And I'm just, I'm really fortunate that you know, I've been able to document a lot of my dad's stories about his time at St. Augustine. And I think the main takeaway for me was that, you know, the impact that the trauma he had, um, you know, really had on him in terms of, you know, addiction, substance abuse, um, you know, as, as a young man trying to really cope with that trauma and how that really affected just like we know generations of people and their ability to express love and parent. Um, and I developed an amazing relationship with my dad. Um, you know, I talked to him every single day after he got sober and I'm so fortunate that I had that. And I know that not everybody had that with their parents, you know, who, who went to boarding school. Um, mm-hmm. And as an adult, I got to learn and understand maybe like, why it was hard for my dad to say I love you or why it was challenging for my father to 
be close or give me hugs as a little girl or why he would disappear, you know, for weeks at a time if he got triggered. And I was able to process that with him and together. And I'm so fortunate for that. And um, I'm really just thinking of all of the other descendants and survivors right now who maybe haven't had the ability to process their trauma and really kind of just holding them close in in my thoughts right now, um, you know, as this news comes and how that might really impact folks who are maybe still keeping secrets or not sharing um, and have never told their family members. And so I just wanted to call in and um, honor Melvin as well as a longtime caller and say thank you to everybody working on this issue. Sasha, I really appreciate you calling in and condolences to you and your family. Yes, of course, anybody who's listened to Native America calling for any length of time knew your father's voice very well. He was a frequent caller, contributor, wonderful person. Um, So sad. Uh, Again, condolences to your family. And and thank you for sharing and, and giving more background on your father, Melvin. It's really helpful and to learn more about his experience as a boarding school survivor. And Donis, Sasha mentions um, the triggering, mentioning her father being triggered. And, and that is one thing that I, I'm, I'm concerned about with the report out and these discussions surrounding past history of Native boarding schools and now this tour in which researchers will go out to different communities and, and get stories from survivors and descendants. And, and Donis, do you think there is a risk of, of re-triggering or triggering new traumas? And, and how should these researchers and others approach this issue with regard to to going out and and getting these stories and and, and capturing this data? Because I know in mental health, there is a term they use called story robbing. And it's when people just go out and they get this information, but they don't really think about the big picture and how it's impacting the people that they're actually talking to. And Donna, what's your thought on that? Yeah, I think there's, it's so important to have um, a multi-generational approach to healing because this is a multi-generational wound. And so the same way, you know, early, I'll be honest with you, earlier this morning, I was just kind of reviewing the report before um, everyone woke up in the hustle and bustle of, of, of morning life here on a weekday. And, um, and I felt so saddened and, and felt so heavy. Um, by kind of the collect this this collection of a phenomena that we know exists, but now is consolidated in one place, and the author is is ultimately the perpetrator <laughs> of these wounds, and the heaviness of that was very overwhelming for me, and the medicine of my own son, you know, my seven year old son coming in and giving me a hug, and mm-hmm. talking to me. Um, I think that now we have an opportunity to do healing from a, as a younger generation to provide support and to use the tools that we have access to to uphold and support our boarding school survivors and the children of our boarding school survivors. And that healing requires a multi-generational approach and it requires everyone from our youngest to our eldest. And I think that that can be a powerful um a powerful approach and powerful medicine. And, uh, you know, I, I have to talk about kind of the work that needs to be done within our communities, within our tribal communities, and also the work that needs to be done in educating around this so that our, our non-Native counterparts 
um, also understand the um, significance of this era and its impacts today and that history is not something that's far uh, apart from us or divorced from us, but um, is ever present and shaping our future. And and so calling in our, our someone had mentioned, I think Donna had mentioned our K through 12 classroom educators and the work that we need to do to educate our non-Native population about this because Sam had mentioned national gaslighting. And so it's time to inform uh, the rest of our population here in the United States of this era, about this era so that they also can go forward with the same amount of accountability to do this restorative work. Well, I do want to give our listeners the number for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. It is 1-800-273-8255. We're going to have to wrap up the show here pretty quickly. But, Indonis, you did mention the irony of the federal government now taking the lead on making amends for boarding school abuses. And I do want to give you the last word. Um, Do you feel that the federal government is the right organization to lead this charge? Or are there other organizations, other stakeholders that need to be included going forward in this whole initiative? Well, I think, um, you know, the nature of the nation state and the bureaucracy of the nation state is very limited in its healing capacity. So I think that turning towards uh, organizations uh, like the Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition um, within our own tribal nations and our own tribal communities, programs and organizations that give our families the tools that they need to heal, uh, the to have access to the very knowledge that was stripped from our, from this generation is what is going to heal us. Um, and so it's, it's not that um, we all don't play a role in this, but it's that the healing needs to go beyond um, kind of the reach of the, of the federal government and needs to um, include and center our Native communities and tribal nations. Okay. Well, unfortunately, we don't have any more time for our discussion today and i know there were some callers that were on hold and we couldn't get to you so please feel free to reach out online at nativeamericacalling.com and share your comments online also there was a question regarding other resources for finding survivors or or descendants or ancestors that didn't necessarily go to carlisle or other schools and we're going to talk to to sam and see if we can get some of that information on our website Until then, I do want to thank our guests, Barbara Landis and Donna Spears and Dr. Samuel Torres for a thought-provoking dialogue on the federal government's new report on boarding school abuses. Join us again tomorrow. We'll be talking about graduation. It's that time of year again when Native students are reaching educational milestones. We'll talk about the regalia, the effects of the pandemic, and making parents proud. I'm Sean Spruce. As always, thank you for listening. Support by Indigenous Pact, a healthcare consulting company working to create health equity in Indian country. Indigenous Pact offers solutions to fit the needs of your tribe. Their team, experts in healthcare strategy, policy, and innovation, provides a one of a kind plan to solve the issues specific to your community. Indigenous Pact works to create three primary outcomes healing spaces, healthy citizens, and sustainable economies. More information at indigenouspact.com. Changa chit,
Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.